Good morning, everyone. My name is Paul Connolly. As was mentioned, I am the son of Dave Connolly, who sits religiously in the same spot every week at the back there, and I love him for that. Um, yeah, so we've been going through a series called The Other Side, um, and it's been really cool just getting to know the kind of things that God is calling us into and the people that he wants to be and the church that he wants us to be on the other side. But what I want to talk about uh, this morning is the business of crossing over. How do we, how do we get to... Thanks, Clive. I'm going to walk around a bit. Um, how do we get to... Wow. That was terrifying. I'm just going to put that there. Cool. How do we get to this so-called the other side? So I want to share from a story um, that we find in Numbers 13 and 14. Um, and wow. I'm used to speaking to the youth on Fridays, and they do not take notes. So seeing people with notepads is, wow, that's amazing. Um, we, we've encouraged them so many times to bring notepads, and they just don't. And sometimes we see them on their phones, and we think, wow, that one's taking notes. They're actually on WhatsApp. Um, so this is very cool. Um, so Numbers 13 and 14 is a really, it's quite a chunky piece of scripture, so I'm just going to summarize it as best as I can. We come upon the Israelites. They've come out of, Israel, uh, out of Egypt. They've gone through the Red Sea, and they've marched a few days, and they've arrived on the cusp of the land that God had promised them. They're standing on the edge. They can see it out before them. And God says to Moses, he says, send 12 spies into the land to see what's there. Um, and so Moses calls, the, he calls 12 spies, and he chooses the, the leaders of each of the 12 tribes of Israel. So you can imagine these were your proper Old Testament, you know, men's health models. They were the, they were the proper, the mana, you know. They would have been in the first team rugby if Israel had a first team rugby. Um, so they come... And Moses gives them a very clear mandate. He says, go into the land and, and see what's there. See the people. Are there lots of them? Are there few of them? Are they big? Are they strong? Are they weak? Uh, do they have big cities? Could we sack their cities easily? Look at the land. Is it good for, for agriculture? Is it good for growing things? Is it good for our animals? And then he says, and be courageous and bring back some fruit from the land there. So off they go. They trundle into the promised land and they explore it for about 40 days. They're there. And so... Some people even believe that through what they worked out, that those men walked between 250 to 350 uh, miles during those 40 days, which is pretty far. So they did all that exploring and they came back and the Bible says they cut one um, bunch of grapes while they were there. So you think, geez, guys, you were there for 40 days, you cut one, one bunch of grapes. But the Bible also says, and this is what we need to discover about the land that they went into, that one bunch of grapes took two men to carry. It was so cumbersome, there was so much fruit on it that it took two men to carry. So they came back, and you can imagine now the nation of Israel is like, wow, what did you see? What did you find? Um, and they say to Moses, they say, it is indeed a land flowing with milk and honey like God had said. It's beautiful. <laughs> Look at these grapes. There's two of us carrying them. But, and there were ten of them who said but, ten of the twelve, the people there are really, really big. They're really, really strong. Their cities fortified and oh, it's going to take effort to break them down and then a guy called Caleb he steps in and he says no 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 let's go let's go now into that land that God has given us and let's take it and the 10 guys who gave the bad report they didn't like that so they went to Israel and they gave they started spreading rumors they started fear-mongering and say that land is a land that consumes its people your children will be prey if they go there and they even say we in the eyes of those people, looked like grasshoppers. They're so big. We look like grasshoppers. And Israel hears this, and it does, 
the nation of Israel does what it tended to do best in the Old Testament. It descended into moaning and wailing and crying and mourning. And they besiege Moses and Aaron and they say, why has God brought us here to die in the wilderness by the sword? Better we had just died in Egypt. It would have been easier. And they even say to Moses, they say, we're going to find someone else to lead us, but their mandate will be to lead us back to Egypt. So Moses and Aaron fall down before the nation of Israel. They tear their clothes. and um, Joshua and Caleb, the two who believed that if they had marched, they could have taken the promised land. They, they said to the people, no, we can do this. God has given this to us. If we do not rebel against him, if we trust in him, if we trust in his ways, we'll go in there and we'll march straight through. People of Israel hear this and they threaten to stone Joshua and Caleb. What are you saying? We're going we're to throw stones at you until you're dead. And while this is all happening, the glory of God appears in the tent of meeting. There's a bright light. And so now Israel knows that ooh, Moses is talking with God. Something's going on. Ooh, what's going to happen? And God comes down and he says to Moses, how long will these people despise me? How long will they not trust in me? Despite all of the signs that I've given them. And he says, I'm fed up. It's time up for Israel. I'm going to get rid of them. And Moses, and wow, Moses was an incredible guy. He says to God, he says, God, if you do that, the people in the land that you've promised us, the Egyptians will hear about it and they'll say, the God of Israel didn't deliver his people into the promised land because he realized he wasn't capable. And so he destroyed them in the desert. God, don't do that. And he said, God, you are a God abounding in love. You're slow to anger, but you are just. And God says, okay, Moses, I've heard you. I'm not going to do what I'd said. Imagine being someone who could talk down God. Anyway, he says, he says but there must still be... I'm a just God. There must still be punishment. And he says, this is what's going to happen. No one above the age of 20 today will see the land that I've promised them. The 10 men who gave a bad report will die. Only Caleb and Joshua will go into that land. And only your children and young people will see it. For every day that someone, that a spy was exploring the promised land, you will spend a year in the wilderness. So 40 days, 40 years. So Moses says, okay, takes the story to the people of Israel and the people of Israel do what Israel does best. They descend into moaning and wailing and crying and grumbling. And they, they say to Moses, there's a group of them that come and say to Moses, okay, we've heard God now. We're going. We're marching. Look at us go. And Moses says, no, no, no. You do that, you're disobeying God yet again. Don't do this. And they said, no, 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 no. We've heard, we missed the call the first time. We've heard him now. We're going into the land that he's promised us. And Moses said, God is not with you on this. Don't go. But they choose to go anyway. Moses stays in the camp. The Ark of the Covenant stays in the camp. They march into the hills and are slaughtered. And that's basically how the story ends. So what does this story mean for us today? I mean, it's so easy for us to, to stand here and sit here, cross our arms and make the noise because Israel, ah, those boys, mm. they were a bunch. But the truth is, what would we have done in that situation? Let's just look at the context. Israel has just come out of slavery. They were in slavery for hundreds of years, hundreds. 
God had performed incredible miracles to make it happen. Pharaoh took quite a lot of convincing. God sent plagues. He turned the Nile into blood. He sent, I know he said grasshoppers. That wouldn't have been scary. He sent, he sent locusts. He, he took the firstborn child of every Egyptian family. He nearly crippled the Egyptian empire just to get Pharaoh to say, okay, go. Pharaoh let them go. They march happily, jubilantly. They get to the sea. Pharaoh's changed his mind. He was quite a flippant chap, apparently. He's coming after them. They're standing on the edge of the sea, and they do what Israel does best. They moan. Why has God brought us out of Egypt? We should have just died there. And God says, Moses, hold your staff above the water. He holds his staff. Splits the Red Sea. And they walk on through. And now... They've walked through the desert. God has provided for them. They've got to the edge of the land that he promised them. They can see it out before them. And they step back. Why? Well, it's quite a simple answer, really, because they're humans. And we see actually later in the Bible that it was the people who went to Moses and said, we see this in Deuteronomy, and they say, we need to send 12 spies into that land so we know what's going on there. And God said, fine, if that's what you want to do, do it. If Israel had just gone that day that they had got there, you know they would have just flattened everyone. But no, they wanted to try and take control of the situation. They wanted to be strong. Oh, we've come to this land. Look at it. Let's go see what's there first. Let's make an informed decision. And you see, what God wanted from them was to give up that control. And I think that's something that we as humans love. I know personally, I love being able to step into a situation and take control of it. It's an exhilarating feeling, actually. I think I'm probably speaking as a man right now, but anyway. I love just being able to step into a situation and take control. And I mean, is there a better feeling than someone saying, no, I've got this under control, and you knowing that they do? It's so reassuring. I mean, my dad was the best at that. No, it's under control, and I would be like, the bush is on fire. When I was growing up, we had bushfires all the time on the farm, and I could see them from the house, black smoke. My dad would come back just covered in soot. And I'd say, Dad, what's going on? And he'd be like, no, it's under control. Okay. But it was reassuring. And that's what we love as humans. We love control. We love to gather up all of the things and, and, and hold them tight and feel like we're in control. And that brings me to my first point, which is, God doesn't want us to be strong. He wants to be our strength. God doesn't want us to be strong. He wants to be our strength. It's great to feel in control. It really is. It's great to have all of the things and look like you're, you're in control. And people see you and they're like, wow, you're carrying a lot of things. Can I? No, I've got it. It's under control. Behold how under control I am. It's a facade that we like to put out, that we're in control. But what God wanted of the people of Israel was not for them to say, we're in control, we're strong, we're going to do this. was to say, God, you are our strength, and you are going to do this. God had led them out in the most miraculous way, like I said. And you can sense when God comes to the tent of meetings to talk to Moses, there's almost shock in his conversation, when he says, well, how long will these people not trust me? Have they not seen? God is almost like, he's shocked that 
these people have, have said this, that they've in, insisted on sending spies. But crossing over is scary. It is because there's an element of uncertainty. And uncertainty is terrifying because we're not in control. There's a great um, analogy that I saw once of a man holding a rope. And the rope is slipping through his hands. And so because the rope is slipping through his hands, he holds it tighter and tighter and tighter. But the tighter he holds it, the more damage it's doing to his hands as it slips through. It's burning and ripping at his flesh. And he only finds release and relief when he lets go. And that's what God calls us to do. It's great to look like you're holding the rope and being strong. But true strength comes when we let go. When we take all of the things that we've gathered up and are holding tight to try and look in control, we say to God, <sighs> we let it go. God, you are my strength. If Israel had got to the edge of the promised land, they'd seen it there. God is our strength. Boom, they march in. They flattened everyone. Sure, there would have been casualties, battle is battle, but they would have flattened it. And the spies came back and they said, we saw giants there. How the heck are we going to take on giants? God is your strength. And I think that's what we do. We see giants and we're like, whoa, whoa. How am I going to take on that? God's saying, I don't want you to be strong. I am your strength. And God is calling each and every one of us into something new as we sit here. And it might be different for each and every one of us. I can't tell you what it is. But he's calling you into something new. And as he's doing it, he's saying, let me be your strength. Because there will be uncertainty. And the way we conquer uncertainty is by letting God be our strength. And that brings me along to my second point. Last time I preached in church, I forgot to do slides. So... I'm already making progress. Um, my second point is find joy in the season you're in. Now, as we saw, God had performed incredible miracles to get Israel out of Egypt. He'd nearly crippled an empire to do it. He'd given them a pillar of fire at night so that they could travel in the cool with, and they could see. He'd given them a pillar of cloud in the day to give them shade because they were in a desert. He'd split a sea. These are the people who walked through, saw the walls of water on either side of them, walked through, turned around, saw those walls of water collapse on the army that was pursuing them. They saw incredible, incredible things, incredible wonders, and they got to the edge of the land that God had promised them. They're standing on the brink. There it is. They stepped back because they had missed what God had done. In Zimbabwe, one of my favorite, there's, there's, there's little bits of conversation in every Zimbabwean conversation you have. It's like, are you even Zimbabwean if you haven't said some of these things? And one of my favorite that you often hear is the little anecdote, when things come right. When things come right, you'll see. Oh, when things come right, we'll be flying. No, not right now, but when things come right. We've all said it. We've all said it. And I love that because there's a vision and a hope in that, but it's also dangerous because in that mindset, we might be missing what God is doing now. It's hard to live in Zimbabwe. Yeah? It's a tough gig. 
feels like a desert a little bit because it's so hard. But if, if we're not concentrating, if we're not focusing on what God is doing now, we're going to miss it. And when we get to a point where He's calling us to cross over, we're going to be a people that steps back. Find joy and find God in the season you're in. And I know that's hard. I know it is. But don't be a people that misses everything that God has done because He did it in a desert. Don't be those people. I know it's hard. Fuel cues suck. They do. The value of your money becoming less and less is not cool. It's horrible and it's hard. But if we're a people that says, God, what are you preparing me for? What are you saying to me in this? There's power in that. Last night I went to, to watch the Petra play and, and after it finished, I, I was just chatting to a lady and I said to her, you know, how are you doing? Simple question. Normal response in Zimbabwe, oh, I'm surviving. Oh, I'm just keeping my head above the water. And what she said blew me away in its simplicity. She said, you know, Paul, I'm doing so much better than I deserve. I nearly, I nearly fell over. And I loved, that, I loved that mindset because there is a lady who has embraced the season that she's in. I know that family. They're not super wealthy. They don't have hundreds of cars in the driveway. They don't have a big house. They don't have hobbles of, of materialistic things. But this lady said to me, you know, Paul, I'm doing so much better than I deserve. That is a lady who has embraced the season she's in. She's seeing God in what he's doing now. And you can trust that when she gets to a point when God calls her to cross over, she will step boldly forward because she's found God in the season that she's in. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge the older generation today to embrace the season that you're in. I know, I know Zimbabwe has done horrible things to you. I know there is so much loss in your lives. But we, as the younger generation, need you to embrace the season that you're in because you have so much to say to us that we desperately need to hear you have incredible life experience between you, incredible wisdom that we need to hear so that when we pick up your mantle, we are ready to step forward. So please embrace the season that you find yourself in. God has you where you are very much on purpose. He's not sitting up in heaven going, oh, Sean is where? And the angel's going, eh? Uh, we lost him for a few weeks, but he's back. No. God is seeing where Sean is, and he's saying, I know. God is seeing you, saying, God, I'm in a fuel queue again, and he's saying, I know. There's a reason. I'm preparing you for something, and you need to realize that. It might not be something big and grand. It might be God just preparing you for a conversation that you've been intending to have with someone who doesn't know him. Something as simple as that. But God is preparing you for something right now. Do not... Miss it. When things come right, have we ever stopped to think that the way things are right now is right in God's eyes? We live with this vision of a future which is great and I love that when things come right. But God is sitting up in heaven saying, guys, things are right the way they are now. And it's hard to understand that. But it's true. 
There's nothing more true. And that's what God is saying. He's saying, find, find me, find joy where you are right now. You might be in a really good space in your life right now. Find joy. And I love the song that we sang. Lord, you give. Lord, you take away. My heart will choose to say, blessed be your name. Either way, my heart will choose to say. And we see again later in the story, and this is something else that we try to do, the people of Israel, they, they realized they were in a bit of trouble. They, they were now sentenced to 40 years of wondering. Some of them weren't going to get to see the land that God had promised, and they decided, no, we're going to march. We're going to march. And Moses says, don't march. Because God is not with you on this. He has told us what to do. We need to go back into the wilderness. And these people choose to go anyway, and they get slaughtered because they tried to force their way out of the season that God had them in. They tried to put their own stamp on it. They tried to take control. Find joy in the season that you're in, and you'll find God, and you'll be such a powerful individual. You will be someone who can say things like, I'm doing so much better than I deserve. And that lady in that simple response wrote half of my preach for me. I was incredibly grateful. I didn't even, I was actually speechless. I said, hello ma'am, how are you doing? She said, you know Paul, I'm doing so much better than I deserve. And I was just, I just, and she said, how are you doing? And I said, blah, blah. Yeah, I'm fine. But she was a lady who's embraced the season that she's in. We need to embrace where God has us. We need to find joy and find Him in that. And my, my third point now is that we have to know the God that is calling us to cross over. We have to know Him. Last year, my, my family had a very sad thing happen. My very special mom passed away. And I was in the UK at the time. I was very blessed to be able to go over there and do some work. I was staying with my sister. And my dad phoned us and he said, look, guys, mom's not good. You need to get home. So we, we got on the first flight we could. We couldn't have got back to Africa any sooner. Got on the first flight. We landed in Johannesburg. Um, and we had three or four hours between our flight from Joburg, from landing in Joburg to our flight to land in Bulawayo. And we came out to see one of my aunts who was going to buy us breakfast, and she took us aside, and she said, listen, guys, your mom has died. And I wrestled with that for months. I couldn't understand why God would have let me get so close to miss her by a few hours. I think it was three hours in the end. And I was angry, and I was angry for my, for my sister. I had seen my mom 10 days earlier. She hadn't seen her in over seven months. And I was angry, and I said, God, I don't understand why you would let me get so close there's a tree at the well that has a hole in it because I threw a brick at it in one of my rages. Because I thought, hey, maybe if I hurt God's creation, I could hurt him the way he's hurt me. <laughs> the logic is shocking. But that's where I was. I didn't understand. and I, I spent so much time trying to, and there was such a burden on me trying to figure this out. And I found peace and release in a very unexpected place. I found it... <laughs> in the book of Job, which I'd never read before. And we all know the story of Job, the Sunday school story at least. The, this is an incredibly successful man. He was probably very handsome, of course he was. Um, 
He had everything he could ever need and, and more. He had servants, he had cows and goats and camels probably. Um, he had crops and livestock and money and on top of all of it, he was an incredibly faithful man. You sit reading the story and you're like, well, okay, we get it. He had all of the things and he was faithful. Wow. To a point where God even bragged about him. Behold my servant Job. The deceiver comes along and he says, God, would he be like that if he didn't have all of the things? So God says, go and test him. Do not bring harm to him, but do what you will. And Satan comes along and he wipes it all out. Takes everything. Job's holiday homes, his children, his livestock, his crops, his servants. Gone. But Job remains faithful. And that's what we know of the story of the book of Job. But the thing with Job is that it's actually 40-odd chapters. I think there's 40, 42 chapters in Job. And for most of that, it's Job wrestling and haggling and arguing with his peers and his friends and his colleagues about why what happened to him happened. What God was doing in it. What he might have done to incur such a thing to happen upon him. And it all comes to a head in Job 38 where where Job is now at his wit's end and he cries out to God and he says, you need to come and explain what is going on. And we find ourselves in that position so often. God, explain what is going on. And he cries out and he says, he challenges God to come in person and explain what is going on. And God pitches up in a storm cloud, big mighty storm cloud, and he says to Job, brace yourself like a man, my friend, because now I will question you. You can imagine Job was like, hey, can I give you my email address? You can just email me. This. And God starts with a question that honestly changed my life. He says to Job, for me it's one of the most powerful questions in Scripture. He says to Job, Job, where were you? when I laid the foundations of the earth. Where were you? And he takes Job on this incredible journey through this vision of the universe, these big, grand images of the stars. He asks Job, he says, do you tell the lightning where to go? No. He, he, he talks about the stars. He talks about the storehouses of snow. He asks Job, do you know the, play, the way to the dwelling place of the light? incredible big grand images of the universe and he goes from these big grand images right down to the little bear cub and he says do you care for the bear cub and he takes job through this incredible vision of his massive universe but never on one occasion answers his question god explained you see god came down he didn't explain what had happened he told job who he is He gave him this big vision of who he is and he said, Job, this is who I am. And after that, Job found peace and release. He was able to step forward and carry on with his life. And the story ends with God returning everything that, he got, that had been taken from Job. But you see, that's the thing. is we, we spend so much time trying to understand and it's such a burden on our shoulders because we need to understand. But what God is saying is that we don't have to understand. We just have to know who he is. 
We just have to know. And I can't tell you the relief it was in my life to get to that realization that, God, I didn't make it in time. I don't understand, but I don't have to understand. Because I know that you, the God who laid the foundations of the earth, are good. You, the God who laid the foundations of the earth, has plans for my life that can only be good. And the best thing about that vision he shows Job is that he just, he just blows everything we think about God out of the water because he shows us that he sees so much more. So much more than we could see. And I'll probably never get an answer to my question. That's okay. But we have to know truly the God that is calling us to cross over because when we get to the point of needing to cross over where we're at the precipice, we're standing on the brink, we will step boldly forward into what he is calling us into, not do what the Israelites did and step back. It was a little step at the time with almost eternal consequences. You see, if, if we're people who... If we're people who lets God be our strength, if we're people who, sorry, if we're people who finds joy in the season we're in, and if we're people that knows the God that is calling us to cross over, oh, that is a powerful person right there. That is a powerful father, that is a powerful wife, that is a powerful mother. That is a powerful family, that is a powerful church, that is a powerful community. If we are a people who knows, if we have those three things set in our hearts, we will get to points in our lives, and it's not going to be just once. Crossing over the other side isn't one place. It's multiple places in your life where you're going to need to say to God, this is uncertain, but I'm stepping forward. And if you have those three things set firmly in your heart, you'll get to that point and you won't even think twice. You'll just step forward. The Israelites stuttered. They stood on the edge. They'd seen everything that God had done for them, but they'd missed it as well. And they stood on the edge. Giants. They saw mountains. They saw big people and they, they, they didn't see God. And God is calling us to be people who dive into the strength that He gives us. He's calling us to be people who embrace the season we're in because we're not here by mistake. And He's calling us to be people to know His power, know what He is capable of, and know who He is. And if we are a person like that, there is power. You are unstoppable. Unstoppable. Imagine being an unstoppable person for God. Imagine being someone that God brags about like he bragged about Job. And we can learn so much from the response of Moses who had just been told, my friends, you're not going to lead these people into the, the land I've promised you. Devastating news. Devastating. And Moses, in all his humility, it says in the chapter before that Moses was probably the most humble man on the earth at that time. He says, okay, I'm going to trust in the fact, because I know who you are. And we're going to go back into the wilderness for 40 years. And your plans will be made good because they can only be good. And so embrace the season we're in. Respond humbly like Moses. Find God. 
Let him be your strength. And there's power. You will be an unstoppable individual. Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you just that your word is so powerful, Lord. I, I, I thank you for the hearts that are in this room. I thank you that you love, that you are madly in love with each and every person here. Lord, I thank you that um, no matter how hard we try, no matter all the control we try to take, we can never be as strong as you can be for us. I pray that that truth would just settle in these hearts, Lord. That it would become real and more real and more real. I pray that there would be a desire to get to know who you are. So that when we get to the point where you're calling us to cross over into something new, Lord, that we can step boldly into it without fear, knowing the uncertainty that lies ahead, still having faith and stepping forward, Lord. I pray for that. Amen.